0: Well, good morning. Each week it's beginning to look a lot more like Christmas. Uh, Poinsettias are in place. Those are a sweet addition to the Christmas season. The wreaths, the trees, the lights, the weather. Some days feels like winter and Christmas. Other days it feels like spring. But we are making our way to Christmas. We are anticipating Christmas And in our sermons together in December, we're touching on themes of Advent. What does it really mean that God came into the world as a child? What does it really mean that that child would grow to become a man who perfectly kept the law of God and was put to death for it at the hands of sinful men? What does that really mean? And does it seem peculiar that we would celebrate it and anticipate it? This is the gospel story. And if you would listen and hear it through new ears, maybe having not heard or thought about such things, it really is odd to celebrate the birth of a child who would grow and be put to death for his perfection. It's curious, isn't it? But those are the themes of Advent. And the big picture that I'm hoping to um, encourage us in each week is that if the gospel's true, Christmas changes everything. Everything about your hopes and your fears, everything about your worries, everything about your anxiety and stress, all of these things somehow are spoken to by the power of what that Christ child would do. And so we've considered that Christ and this Christ child, this truth of Christmas, it really does propel us. The truth of it propels us with hope, daily hope. It really does calm us with a mysterious peace. Those are the two things we've looked at in the previous two weeks. And then today I hope to highlight how if the gospel's true and this Christ child is is real and true in what he's done... Then it really should overwhelm us with joy. It really should overwhelm us with joy. We have two passages this morning one from the Old Testament, one from the New. One I know is familiar to you because I've used it each week, and then the New Testament passage will be a new reading for us. Give your attention to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and then 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, You believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together. Lord, would you convince us of this overwhelming joy? Would you unstop our ears and open our eyes and soften our sin-hardened hearts. And would you do that with Christmas joy? We pray together in Jesus' name, amen. So if you were with us last week, I'll repeat myself, but if you weren't here last week, you'll hear this for the first time. But what I, one of the things I tried to say last week in introducing the Advent theme is that the church and the world? We often share a vocabulary. We share the same words, but oftentimes we have different dictionaries. We have different meanings, different understanding of those words. And so we saw that that was true with the word hope. Our world uses the language of hope, but the Bible speaks of a hope in Him that the world does not understand. We saw that it's true of peace, that in this world we talk about peace, love, and happiness. But the Bible talks about peace in a more profound and beautiful way. And today I think we'll see the same thing is true of joy. It's very familiar language to us in our culture. But the Bible talks about this inexpressible, glorious, victorious joy... That only those who trust in Christ understand and can comprehend in any way. So, the same is true. Christmas joy. Now, here's an example of how our world defines it differently. Did you know? Did you know you can Google Christmas joy the week that you're preparing a sermon on Christmas joy? And you'll get a world's definition of Christmas joy. Do you want to know what it is? It says this this is brought to you by. I'll tell you at the end, see if you can guess where this comes from. Christmas Joy, when I googled it. A cheerful publicist named Joy teams up with a cynical vice president as she returns to her hometown to help a charity and to help her aunt recover from surgery. And while home for the holidays, Joy runs into her old beau named Ben. You know where that's from? The Hallmark Channel, which I have not watched. That's a claim to fame of mine. But you Google Christmas Joy, and there's a movie called Christmas Joy, and, and it, I think, is typical of what those movies look like. Well, that's the world's, one sense of the world's understanding of Christmas Joy. Just fill in the blank however you wish. Have a little romance in there, a little nostalgia, and you got Christmas Joy right? This morning we're going to talk about what Christmas joy is according to scripture and even what it isn't according to our own experience. So Christmas joy, what is it? What is Christmas joy? Um, Some of you know the name Marie Kondo. She is the Japanese woman who will clean a closet and when you're doing, and I've not seen this either thanks to my wife for this illustration, Uh, When cleaning a closet and not quite sure how to get the clutter out, she advises you to do what with items in the closet or in the house? She advises you to take hold of it and ask yourself, does this spark joy? Right? And she says, if it does not spark joy, throw it, actually you give thanks for it, and then you throw it away, right? Um, What's sparking joy for you? Should you bundle it up and throw it away? Is it the real thing? So what Christmas joy is and what it's not? Let me say, first of all, I don't think Christmas joy should be confused with happiness. Happiness and joy are really not the same thing. Happiness, I believe, is a feeling. And our feeling of happiness really depends upon our immediate circumstances. And that makes it fleeting. Happiness can come and happiness can go very quickly. It doesn't take much to extinguish happiness because it's dependent upon our immediate circumstances. Parents of children understand this. Happiness and joy, two very different things. So in 1978, I was eight years old. It may have been 1979 but i had gone to school and one of my friends had brought what seemed like the perfect toy to play with at recess it was night it was mattel bradley's 1978 Starbird. it was a spaceship and it had lights and it had sounds and it was incredible and as christmas came We would make out a little Christmas list, probably a big Christmas list, give it to our parents, and then just kind of hope that Christmas morning you got what you asked for. So I want you to picture eight or nine-year-old Paul Patrick on Christmas morning walking into the family living room with the Christmas tree, and there were three of us, three children, and our toys somehow mysteriously would be in piles Three different distinct piles on chairs and couches in our living room. And I walked in and my eyes were looking for one thing and one thing only. The 1978 Mattel Bradley Starbird. And there it was. There it was on the end of the couch. And I was so excited and I went and I grabbed it. And I was so thankful I I thought I had joy. Maybe I was having joy for the first time. And I picked that toy up and I started to push the buttons to see the lasers and the flashes and the lights and the sounds, no batteries in the toy. No batteries in the toy. And just like that, little seven, eight-year-old, nine-year-old Paul Patrick went from joy to misery. Could there be a worse Christmas? No batteries in the toy that you wanted. Hey, that's a true confession and that's a true story. And what else is true is this morning I was able to find that toy thanks to Google and be reminded what it was called and maybe to see if I could find it still. The starboard, my standard for hope, I thought, my, my standard for joy, and I was so easily crushed. You see, that's not joy, that's happiness. You can be happy for a moment and then it can be taken away from you. Happiness is fleeting. It's temporary. It's based on circumstances. But I really believe that Christmas joy, the gospel joy, is not temporary. It's eternal. And it is fixed. It is steady. It is constant. It is unshakable because it can't be taken away from you. Now, you may not always have the feeling of joy, the feeling of happiness... But it is a truth that was purchased by Christ that is an eternal and permanent truth. So do you see the difference between happiness and joy? Joy is profound. Joy lasts. Joy sticks because it's based in truth and it's something that was done by the God-man for us. There is a big difference between happiness and joy. You'll see this play out um, in your own children maybe over Christmas. The illustrations on the difference between happiness and joy abound. Just a few years ago, we hosted a Christmas party. Not too much unlike the youth Christmas party that is tonight from 6 to 8 p.m. at the Meredith's home. There's a plug for that. Um, and we had, a, a, we had college students over, and we did a um, $5 gift that you were to wrap. Um, I believe that the gifts tonight are not to be purchased. They're to be found in your home. And I think they should be wrapped. Is that correct? They should be wrapped because you'll have a game to play. The game we played a few years ago is was a $5 gift, a wrapped gift, and it's that game where you could take somebody else's dirty Santa, sometimes people call it. You could take someone else's gift. Well, on this particular occasion, we decided to let our children play, our sons play, and I won't use their names because I would never want to embarrass them But one of our sons, you know, every gift is worth $5, supposedly, and they're all wrapped. And this box was passed around the circle where everybody can feel it and decide if they want that one based on the number they draw. Well, one of my sons was overwhelmed by the weight of this present, this wrapped present. It was heavy. It was significant. And so he chose that one. And my other son just got stuck with the last gift, I think it was, that no one would claim. And surely it wouldn't be any good. And so that son opened his present first. And if I remember correctly, it was a big bag of Reese cups. And there is not a better candy than the Reese cup, right? And so he was overwhelmed with what we thought was joy. And then the other son, who hadn't opened his, that weighty, heavy, significant gift. I mean, there could be anything in there, right? It's got to be better than even the Reese Cups. And so he opens up his gift, and immediately his face falls. It's a big box of size D batteries. (laughs) Just batteries, no toy. And it's the kind of battery that really doesn't go in anything anymore. And his face fell, and he was crushed. And the one who thought he got nothing got Reese cups, and the one who thought he got everything got D batteries, which I'm pretty sure are still in our house, unused. Maybe they'll appear tonight at the youth Christmas party. That'd be a good idea. I should have thought of that. Listen, joy and happiness, you're going to see it play out in your living rooms, those of you who have young children, you're going to see it. Help your children understand this. Talk to them about fleeting things and eternal things. There is a difference. And Christ offering himself to us has given us an unshakable joy that lasts and it sticks. And it's three more things. It's inexpressible, it's glorious, and it's victorious. And this is the real meat of the sermon. And here's the curveball. It doesn't come from a text that I've read. I have a Christmas gift for you this morning and it's called Isaiah chapter 35, an additional text that's not in your bulletin and I think it's on your, is it on the handout, is it on the slide? Isaiah chapter 35 and I'm going to read verses 3 through 6a and then verse 10 and it may or may not be on the screen behind me but this is where, oh it is. So here's, here's what we have. Listen to this. This is the promise of when the, when the Messiah finally comes, this will be how you know it. These are the things that He'll do. It says, strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And those the Lord has rescued will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Do you hear that beautiful picture of when the Messiah comes? He will strengthen the weary. The ones who just, their hands are tired. They've labored. They can't hold their hands up anymore. He will strengthen those hands. Those who have feeble knees, those who are weary and can no longer stand, they're faint. They're ready to drop in life. They're ready to drop in their faith the truth of the Messiah will comfort you, encourage you, sustain you. And those who have fearful hearts, those who trust the Messiah but they're overwhelmed with the fears of this life, the bad news, the diagnosis, the loss of a job, the Messiah will bring a comfort and encourage your hearts because He's going to do something that's profoundly good for His people and for His church. And in verse 4b it says, essentially, help is on the way. For those who are weary, those who are faint, those who are discouraged, know that help is on the way. The Messiah is coming. And when He comes, everything that's wrong, it'll be made right. It'll be made right. The blind will see. The deaf will hear. The lame will leap. The mute will shout for joy because the joy of Zion is overwhelmingly good. Joy, a joy that's overwhelming and that's good. I want you to think about that. Now, we have different personalities in the room. Some of you, you, your highs are high, right? You can get excited and gleeful and and cheerful. Others of us, we're just kind of right here all the time. And some of us can dip low quickly And easily but this says the day is coming where God's people are going to be overwhelmed with joy the most introverted among us the most calm and steady and below the radar are gonna shout for joy are gonna sing for joy that everything that was wrong and crooked and broken in this fallen world it's gonna be made right and it's gonna be made right forever forever. That's overwhelming joy. So if you've been overwhelmed by you think bad news, by sadness, by depression, there's a day coming for you. If your trust is in Jesus, you're going to be overwhelmed with joy. Solid joys and lasting treasure none but Zion's members know. You know that hymn, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken? It's a John Newton hymn. There are solid joys and lasting treasures in the kingdom of God. Everything else of this life, it's a hollow joy. And there are treasures that do not last. So consider your joy. Is it this substantial joy? Or are you easily disappointed because you've put your trust in lesser things? Second point, And the first point is the longest. Second point. Christmas joy. Why do we need it? Why would the Bible talk about joy and being overwhelmed by joy? Well, quite simply because without it, we are trapped in a sin-darkened world of gloom and despair where we are homeless and joyless. Let me say it a little differently. If the gospel's not true, then gloom and despair are here to stay. And we are homeless. There is no place for us. And we would therefore be joyless. But the gospel is true. It's what we believe. And because it's true, we are overwhelmed with the hope of joy. That joy is eternal and it is lasting. One of my favorite Christmas hymns, and we've sung it once or twice already this season, is Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I want to highlight a few words uh, from that hymn, but listen to the gloom and despair, and how the gospel dispels it; it chases it away. Three stanzas from there: "O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here, until the Son of God appear. O come, O branch of Jesse's stern, unto your own and rescue them." From depths of hell your people save, and give them victory o'er the grave. And then, O come, O bright and morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of the night, and turn our darkness into light. Do you see that? Our Christmas music is reminding us of true things. This is a world of gloom and darkness and despair. But what God has offered us is like a bright, shining light of hope. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That's what Christmas joy really is. C.S. Lewis says all of this in his own way in that wonderful story, The Chronicles of Narnia, which I was reminded of in thinking through this uh, subject this week. If you're familiar with the story, you'll remember this. If you're not, I hope it will still connect with you. But Narnia is the place that is what? Always winter and never Christmas. Always winter, always cold, always gloomy. All the hard part of winter, but never the good part of winter, which would be Christmas. Narnia is under the curse of the white witch. There's a passage in the story where Father Christmas comes on the scene and there it says this Father Christmas arrives at the home of Mr. and Mrs. Beaver with sleigh bells jingling the image of good news he says I've come at last said he Aslan is on the move the witch's magic is weakening and at that announcement that the witch's magic is weakening The curse on Narnia is being broken. It says, and Lucy felt that deep shiver of gladness that you only get when you're solemn and still. And that stood out to me, that deep shiver of gladness. And what happens after this? The curse is broken and Narnia begins to melt. All that is frozen, all that is winter begins to transform into the hope and joy of spring. That's a visible and powerful picture of what we're talking about. This world of gloom, of darkness, of despair, and yet light has come. And C.S. Lewis captures it beautifully with an image of melting of winter and all that is wrong slowly transforming into what is right and bright, And good. I don't know if that connects with you. I don't know if your world feels like frozen tundra. It did for C.S. Lewis, and he found a way to capture the imagery of what the Bible is saying. Christmas joy has the power to bring life and newness into the death of winter. That's what Christmas joy is, and it's beautiful. So, thirdly and lastly, hey, it all sounds good. How do you get it? How do you get this Christmas joy? Does it strike you like a lightning bolt from the sky? What must one do to have and experience something that sounds so good? I'm gonna say two things in the way of application. Christmas joy, how do you get it? First, you have to make room for it. You've gotta make room for Christmas joy, you've gotta get the junk out so that the joy has a place to reside let me tell you what i mean some of you've had the experience of moving old furniture out of your house let's pretend that maybe you're beyond the child raising child rearing years they destroyed your furniture for 15 years now it's time to get the old gross stuff out in comes the new new furniture right some of you've lived through this We are longing for the day that we live through this. We're not there yet, but we anticipate it, like Christmas. You can't bring new furniture into the house if the old yucky furniture is still in the way. You've got to make room for it, right? You've got to get it out. Or another illustration said this way, years ago on Christmas Eve, we realized, okay, the children are about to get new toys and new things we got to make room for the new stuff coming in so on Christmas Eve we thought it was appropriate to to give our children a, a, a garbage bag for storage and we told them to go to your toy box go to your closet and anything that doesn't fit anymore or any toys that you don't play with anymore let's put those in the bag And maybe somebody will come along tonight and take it and give it to other boys and girls out there, right? So we were purging, making room for the new. The human heart is the same way. You have to make room for Christmas joy by letting go of all the false joys, all the false hopes, all the false peace that you've crowded and what I've crowded my heart with we've gathered and crowded ourselves with worldly things and there's no room left. So how do you get this Christmas joy? The first thing you gotta do is you gotta make room. And you make room by letting go. Letting go of the things that have occupied your hands, your heart, and your mind. And those can be people, those can be relationships. Sometimes we've not experienced Christmas joy because we've been too busy and consumed. Chasing a person or people, right? you got to let go of those things and not be dominated by those things. So you let go, and the second thing that you do is you take hold. You take hold by faith of the One who has made promises to you. Promises that are hard to believe, but that you believe by faith. Trusting in His work that He is the Prince of Peace. That He is the joy of the world and so you let go of these lesser things and by faith personally you take hold of these things and you say i believe i believe these promises are true i believe this christ child is true and i'm building my life on it i'm banking my life on it that's how you get christmas joy in the bible it's called faith and repentance it's the same thing take hold of things once you let go of things well that sounds good but paul Does the Bible really say that? Is that really what Christmas is about? Well, let me leave you with one little nugget that we're about to sing. We're going to sing Joy to the World. The Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Do you remember what the next line is? Let every heart prepare him room. What does that mean? It means your heart has to make room for Him. Prepare Him room. Which means we need to move some stuff out, making preparation for Christ and for His joy. This morning, in the way of application, some of you, perhaps your hearts, your minds are occupied with lesser things. This morning, we're lovingly being given an eviction notice. It's time for lesser things to move out. They've, been, they've not been paying rent in your head and in your heart. So we're called to evict those things. And Christ says He comes in and He will fill with a fullness of joy, not a happiness, but an eternal joy that is unshakable. It cannot be taken from you. It was purchased by Christ Himself. It's not a feeling. It's a person. Let's pray that we would have that joy and trust in Him. Let's pray. Father, it's all so much easier said than done. But Lord, would You by faith enable us to evict the things of our heart that have taken up space and not served us well. And Lord, would You, Yourself, come and rule our hearts the way that we sing about. Would we prepare room for You in our hearts by evicting lesser things. We ask it, we pray for it, in Jesus' name, amen.